Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Good morning out there, all you short-term shoppers. It's Avery Carl, and I wanted to give you guys a quick reminder about something that I don't think I've done a good enough job of keeping you aware of. So I get a lot of emails from y'all every week, and I love getting emails from you, by the way. I love talking to our listeners, and a lot of them are asking for real estate agent recommendations in different markets, and what I don't think I've done a good job of is making sure that you guys are aware that the short-term show is actually a subsidiary of the short-term shop which is the largest short-term rental specific real estate team brokered by EXP. I have to say that or I get in trouble in the country. So we have offices in 12 of the top short-term rental markets in the country, and we are here to help you purchase your first, second, third, or 10th short-term rental. And if you buy with us in any of those markets, we have a whole back-end training program where we will teach you everything you need to know about managing your short-term rental remotely. Everything from setting up your Airbnb and VRBO listings to teaching you how to use all the property management software that you'll need, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners and handymen. And we have some awesome Facebook support communities that we want you guys to be a part of where we all share ideas and information about managing our short-term rental, which short-term rentals, which markets are the best, uh, what we're doing next, and all of that really fun stuff. So if you want to be a part of the short-term shop community, if you want to buy a house with us, we really want to help you guys. So head on over to theshorttermshop.com and click schedule a consultation. We'll see you there. If you invest in real estate or manage properties, you need banking that's truly built for your business. Many traditional banks make it difficult to sync banking information across many of the personal finance platforms that we as real estate investors use every day. This is why I recommend Relay. Relay is an online banking and money management platform that's a perfect fit for any real estate business. First, there are no account fees, no overdraft fees, and no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more money in your pocket. Relay also goes above and beyond the banking basics to help you understand precisely what you're earning, spending, and saving. You get up to 20 checking accounts to organize and allocate income for things like day-to-day -day expenses, investments, or taxes. And if you have multiple investment properties set up as separate business entities, that's no problem. Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access everything from one single login. Best of all, Relay makes your bookkeeping speedy and meticulous by giving you ultra-detailed transaction data and directly syncing it back to QuickBooks Online and Zero. The ability to have so many separate bank accounts and allocation options in my user dashboard has really transformed my personal banking experience. I will never go back. It takes 10 minutes to apply for a Relay account, and you can do it online at RelayFi.com slash the short term shop. So again, for more information and to open an account, go to RelayFi.com slash the short term shop. Hey guys, welcome back to the short term show. 
a lot of y'all have been asking questions about hotel investing and I don't invest in hotels, so I don't have those answers, but I also have the same questions as you. So I'm really excited today to have Dia Liu. She invests in boutique hotels and she does some rehabs and things like that, but she started with just regular single family short terms and then moved into hotels. So I think a lot of you are going to get a lot of value out of this, including me, because this is a new one for me too, and I'm really interested in it. So I'll go ahead and have Dia introduce herself. How's it going, Dia? Good. Hi, everyone from Austin. <laughs> I miss Austin so much. I'm actually uh, ranch shopping, not, not for STR, just for personal, but I would like for it to be STRable so that it can put it in, in its own expenses. But anyway, it's got nothing to do with anything in the Hill Country. I miss Austin so much. I'm jealous that you're there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm here actually, strangely, to set up my parents' house for short-term rental purposes. So, um, so I'm rarely here, but I'm here right now in my hometown. I uh, roped your parents in. Yes, I have. Well, hopefully, this will be their <laughs> first one. So they're a little bit nervous. I did the same thing with my parents. My mom is running my parents' one, and she's like really, really, really high-strung and nervous person. So. It was a little difficult at first, but she's actually doing great. She has better reviews than uh, than we do, so she's doing a good job. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, cool. So let's get right into it. So Dia, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into, first, let's start with just how you got into real estate investing, and then we'll move into the hotel stuff. Yeah, so I uh, practiced as a patent litigation attorney um, before I got into real estate um, I practiced law for five years with international firms, um, first in New York City, and then I moved back to Austin, basically to, intending to get started in real estate investing. And so um, I basically was practicing law and I was working this, these really long hours and I loved my colleagues, but I just looked around and I saw that even though folks were uh, staying at these really nice uh, apartments and et cetera, they just weren't really in, able to enjoy the fruits of their labor just because they were so busy working. And um, I've grown up traveling a lot with my parents, even though we didn't have a lot uh, of money at the time. Um, and so I wasn't really able to travel at all with my newly attorney Minta status. And so, um, and uh, in fact, I felt really guilty even taking Christmas off. So. Um, so I just look into the financial independence movement and I discovered that I really wanted to get started with real estate investing versus other types of investing. And so I decided Austin was a natural answer to move back to Austin. That's where I grew up. And it looked like at the time that I was going to take off a lot, it had already grown a lot. Um, and so I bought my first house and I really... Uh, experimented with house hacking, really. And um, I discovered that I don't really like uh, long-term uh, tenants as my housemates. I <laughs> loved hosting folks uh, in my home as on Airbnb. And I have a, I, I randomly also was a fashion stylist uh, while I was in college. And so I really like design. And so that um, it, it just, it was kind of a light bulb moment. I love travel. I love design. Um, I love everything technology related. So it just seemed like, um, even though I was brand new to real estate investing and there were a lot of folks who knew a lot more about real estate investing than I did, 
um, you know, I could, I know tech better than them. I know design better than them. And, uh, and therefore I feel like I had a much better shot of succeeding in short-term rentals. Fast forward to the pandemic, um, <laughs> while everyone else is, uh, you know, like, uh, probably trying to wean off short-term rentals or shy away from short-term rentals. I went the opposite direction. I quit my lawyer job and um, I, I went further into short-term rentals and made it my full-time gig. Um, and then I was um, basically slow flipping short-term rentals, basically holding it for about a year or so with actual financials and then um, selling it after that. Um, and I was getting really frustrated that it doesn't matter if I was grossing 97K on a 500K sale, um, I still have to make my buyer waive financing, you know, appraisal contingencies and stuff like that, just because it doesn't matter how much I'm making, um, it's my, the value of my property is going to be based on the valuation of the property right next door to me. And so, um, I looked, started looking into commercial assets because I knew uh, just from, a, you know, very, very basic terms that commercial assets evaluation was different than uh, residential real estate. And I Can thought- I stop you right there? I just want to yeah. highlight something that you just said that a lot of people make this mistake. And I see it in different Facebook groups and stuff all the time where people are like, I want to sell my single family short-term rental as a business. How much more can I charge because I have all this rental history? And the answer to that is nothing <laughs> because you're still being, when it's not commercial, when it's a residential property, your property that makes a hundred thousand is only worth as much as the property next door. That's not even a rental because of how they're appraised and commercial properties. The valuation is based on, or the value is based on how much they make. So I just wanted to pull that out of your story really quick and sorry to interrupt you, but I think that's a really, really important nugget that a lot of people miss that I want to make sure everybody heard. So sorry, finish, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, you know, you could make them pay cash, but of course most people would not want to pay cash when the interest rates at the time were so low. And so I really looked in more into commercial real estate and I decided, you know what? Um, Theoretically, already, you know, a lot of folks say owning a short-term rental is like owning a small hotel. So why don't I just do the commercial real estate equivalent of a short-term rental, which is a boutique hotels? And so I started down this path, um, and honestly, it was not the smoothest journey. Um, there were a <laughs> lot of hiccups in the road. Uh, commercial real estate is a lot different than a. Uh, very different actually from uh, real, residential real estate investing. And so um, I got a lot of hotels under contract. I took a lot of trips and um, done did a, put a lot of money down for due diligence. And um, it took over a year of me consistently making offers and getting under contract and vetting these deals before we were able to close on our first hotel, uh, which was 48 doors or keys. And uh, we were able to get it for a very, very uh, steep discount at $750,000. Ooh, where's that? That's in the Ozarks in Northwest Arkansas. Okay, gotcha. So you were in short term and you're like, okay, I'm tired of buying all these single families and like moving, scaling really slow. Let's just buy a hotel and buy, you know, 10, 15, however many keys at which it's doors in residential, well, and commercial in, in um, multifamily. But for those of you who are listening in hotel speak, it's called keys. 
So you were just like, well, I can just buy 10, 15 X amount of these at one time with one transaction rather than doing one at a time. Yes. Yeah. And then you are now in control of your own destiny in terms of what you can make the property worth because you are able to add that value through whether you're updating the inside in order to get more income. But you're now that you're in charge of the bookings and how much money it's making, you're also in control of your own equity. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I think that what we ended up focusing on after having a lot of trial and error um, is really these properties that already are cute or oh, okay. uh, already somewhat um, not, not not necessarily to the level of design that I want the end product to be, but uh, they are already, um, you know, somewhat, uh, they're already rentable, basically. Um, so we don't really try to buy stuff that is, uh, you know, with a lot of deferred maintenance and et cetera. Um, we, but perhaps the owner operator is very tired um, and maybe they have other commercial real estate projects or maybe their the hotel investing was just an afterthought because of all their other, uh, you know, projects. And because of that, it's not being operated very well. And so those are usually the, the deals we focus on. And we just okay. increasing the valuation by operating it better, basically. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And I think I'm right there with you in terms of amount of headache. So you're, you're looking more for, you're not looking for properties that, you know, are kind of run down and that you can completely rehab. You're looking for things that are already like, you know, cute, they're running fine, but you can do a few like sprucing type projects and then just optimize the management in order to add that value instead of having to go do like a full rehab property. Yeah, so we've done, we've had both of the types. Uh, so we have stuff that we have gutted, but, um, you know, it just downtime is, of course, a lot longer. And therefore, we have to get it at much uh, steeper discount. So we have a beach hotel that, um, beach motel rather, it's 13 units, and we were able to get it for under 400,000. So oh because of that, uh, we felt like there was a lot of room for error, basically, and we're able to gut it down to the studs and uh, for that project. But Unless it's something like that, where it's such a steep discount, we usually focus on stuff that uh, we can already rent out. Awesome. I like that. Less headache, less bullshit. So um, are you focusing, what types of markets are you focusing on for this? Um, I look at short rentals and hotels pretty much across the nation. I, I love stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path in uh, resort destinations, really. So mountains, lakes, uh, beach towns, et cetera. Um, I personally don't don't focus as much on urban destinations, but that's not saying that I would never do a deal in a larger town. It's just um, I connect with a lot of the travelers that end up traveling to beach towns or mountain towns or the lake resorts and et cetera. So that's usually what we focus on the most. Okay. I like those types of markets myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So what are the differences? We've, we've talked about why you've chosen hotels, what your strategy is and what markets you tend to focus on. What are the differences in analysis between a single family short-term rental and a full-on hotel motel? 
So hotels are evaluated uh, similar to multifamily apartments, uh, just in that it's based on a lot of it is based on the net operating income. So, uh, so you're basically, you know, the easiest way back to back of the napkin way of calculating the valuation of a hotel is basically dividing the net operating income or NOI by the cap rate for hotels in that market. And hotels, the cap rate are usually, the cap rate is based uh, usually a little bit higher than multifamily is. Um, and so you have to pull that data, of course, and then you uh, get the pro forma or projected um, net operating income after calculating all your expenses, what you're able to gross on it. And, uh, and then basically from that, you're able to get what the after stabilization of the hotel will be. And if you're just trying to find whether this hotel for sale is overvalued or undervalued, you're able to take their financials and their net operating income and basically divide it by the market cap rate. All right. So it is very similar to commercial. So when you're looking at these properties that aren't necessarily being managed correctly, are you using all of the usual data tools that people use when they're looking at short-term rentals like AirDNA and Rabu and all that stuff? Or are you using something else because it's not a residential, it's something kind of different. So if you know it's underperforming, how do you come up with your projection of what you should be able to do with it? So it depends on how close the property is to short-term rentals versus a standard hotel room. So if, for example, is 19 cabins on a resort property, then we do look at AirDNA or Rabu a lot more uh, closely than we'll look at hotel data just because uh, cabins or tree houses or these sort of uh, properties are going to grow more similar amounts to a traditional short-term rental. Now, if it's more like a standard hotel room, you really can't rely on just the short-term rental data at that point. So we use CoStar Reports, which has uh, bought FTR data, but it's I think it's called Star Reports technically. It's not to be confused with short-term rentals. It's just what the company is called. And so they uh, specialize on hotel data. And so that's what we use for the average daily rate as well as occupancy. Okay, so can you explain what CoStar is to some of our listeners who might not be familiar? Yeah, it's a they kind of own the market essentially on commercial real estate data and sales data. So uh, you could, uh, if you have CoStar access, you're able to pull up um, the markets for hotels at least, because that's the asset class I deal with. Um, you're able to find the market cap rate. You're able to find uh, the market uh, sold price per key or per door uh, for apartments. And you're able to find some of the, the hotel brokers who have sold properties in the past. Um, and so that's what we use. And uh, it's very, very helpful for analyzing a hotel. Awesome. So we've gone through now the differences in the analysis. Let's talk about the management. So are you using more traditional hotel channels for your management? Or are you going straight through the usual short-term rental OTAs like Airbnb and Verbo? So we do a hybrid. So it really, once again, comes down to, is this more like a hotel room or is this more like a short-term rental property? So using our uh, hotel in 
Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas as an example, we have 32 really standard hotel rooms. So they're going to be renovated, but they're going to be identical rooms to each other. It doesn't make sense to have 32 identical Airbnb listings at that point. It really, mm -hmm. because, and you can't move around the calendar schedule as well, just because the room types are the same. Um, the, the traditional OTAs do, uh, for short-term rentals don't really make sense at that point. Now, um, in the back, we are building cabins and tree houses in the future. So those will be on short-term rental sites like Airbnb and VRBO. Using our beach hotel as an example, we're going to have different theme rooms. So those, uh, we're, we're going to focus more on the short-term rental base model. Okay. What beach is that in, by the way? Uh, that is on the coast of Texas in Rockport. Okay. I remember it was probably like 2016. We went on vacation to Tulum and we only owned a few short-term rentals at that time, but we stayed in an entire condo complex. I mean, there were only like 10 condos, but it was totally like custom from the ground up built to be short-term rentals and had rooftop pools and stuff. And I went down this rabbit hole of doing um, like a big condo development or not a big, a small condo development of short-term rentals and how could I buy property in Mexico? And I eventually just left that, like put it down because it was, it was too, it, it was too advanced for where I was at the time. So I just, I'm like, I'm just going to buy another cabin right now and we'll get to that later. But it's definitely always something that has fascinated me. And you're probably familiar with uh, living in Austin. I'm a big Liz Lambert fan. I know she doesn't have any of her hotels anymore. She's out, but you know, she's got, um, I can't even think of the name of that hotel in South Congress where Joe's Coffee is. Help me out. Across the street from the Continental Club. Hotel San Jose. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, hotel uh, St. Cecilia. And then she's got El Cosmico out in West Texas, which I think was like one of the first little developments of uh, the Airstreams and stuff. And uh, she, so she's had a lot of really cool boutique hotel success, but she she was full on like in the nowhere near over here in the STR space. She was like full on hotels from, from way back. But uh, I've always been a fan of all of her design and everything that she's done in her hotels. And I had big plans to do that back when I was new and it just, life took me another way with our investments. But one day I will, I'll get into it. One day when I have more time, which may never come, but anyway. Um, <laughs> all right. So do you, how are you managing these things? So I know you're not necessarily using those platforms, but do you have VAs or are you hiring like full-time staff for these things? How is that working? How does that differ from a traditional single family STR? Um, so we, uh, so for the smaller hotels, it's a lot easier to just have a co-host, um, for sure. Or, and then plus a management company that's specializing or short-term rental management company or co-host and then a cleaner, of course. But um, for our larger hotels and especially with the demographic that, uh, you know, that wants a traditional front desk experience, um, we do have uh, more hotel manager positions available. Um, we might have fewer staff then let's say a Hilton or a Marriott, just because uh, we do have automated check-in and check-outs similar to short-term rentals, but we do usually have a front desk person 
uh, during business hours. Okay. And how are you finding these front desk people? Are you just taking over from the previous manager? Like maybe they have people who were already in these positions that you're now just hiring onto your team, or are you having to like put local ads out to find staff or like, what's the process with that? Because I know with traditional short-term rentals, people are like, Oh my God, how do I find a good cleaner? How do I find a good handyman? But now you've got actual customer service people who are going to be interfacing with your guests. So how do you find those people? So we really lucked out with our very first hotel because the the manager that came with the property, uh, she's been with the property for over 10 years, I think. And so we kept her on. And so, but we all also hired additional folks as well. Um, so I have a pretty large group, Facebook group, it's Airbnb Professional Hosts. And mm -hmm. I basically mm -hmm. just posted on there what different roles that I needed help with. Um, I, at the time, I made a you know a long laundry list of different roles or skills that i would like to have you know have in people that hire and one of those was for hotel managing and front desk positions and so um i had a lot of applicants based on that and because of that we were able to get someone who worked two years at a moroccan boutique hotel even though okay. she was originally from atlanta so, so we're very, very lucky to find her. Awesome. That is lucky. Okay. So you're, you didn't necessarily go local. Somebody moved, someone relocated to work for you. Yeah. And oh uh, it really depends on the size of the market. So sometimes we'll post uh, on, on the local marketplaces. Um, but sometimes we will hire someone who has previous hotel uh, front desk experience uh, and they will move to for that position. Okay. And so you do have like traditional or maybe I shouldn't phrase it like that. Do you have traditional hotel cleaning in these or do you run them like uh, a short-term rental? Like do you have a, a cleaner coming in every single day of their stay and making the bed and cleaning up or are they waiting until the guest is fully out and then you just clean in between stays? Um, so right now we are offering cleanings during the stays, uh, but we're looking at, um, I've noticed when I stay at Hilton's and Marriott's and Marriott hotels that the, a lot of hotels have moved to more like, Hey, let us know if you need cleaning services during your stay and we will be happy to provide it for you. Or, uh, do, you know, we are happy to provide additional linens if you need any additional linens during your stay. So at some point, we're going to look into whether we want to keep this uh, cleaning during the stay or we're going to uh, reduce it to maybe just every four or five days. That's something that we're going to look at in the future. But right now, it, once again, the standard expectation for a lot of these guests who have been coming to the same town many, many years is that they will get a cleaning during their stay. So that that's what we're going with for now. Okay. Do you have to have any kind of special insurance for that, for when you have a cleaner going in during stays? Because I know anytime anybody loses something, the first thing they do is blame the cleaner. So do you have to have any sort of insurance for that, for when that happens? Or does that not happen as much as I'm imagining it does? Um, I, we have not had that happen, but of course we have hotel and insurance, which is totally different in terms of the coverage, um, as a, compared to a short-term rental insurance policy. And so that is a commercial insurance, right? So 
it covers a lot more scenarios than a short-term rental policy will. And then we also have workers comp and additional other types of policies. And so it's just the different risks is already kind of reflected in the different type of policy that we had to take out. Okay. So there's hotel specific insurance or is it just like a regular commercial like umbrella type policy? Is it different? It's different uh, just because it is kind of similar to short-term rental insurance is going to be different than the long-term rental insurance. So because of the different risks involved, um, we do have hotel specific insurance. Okay. That makes sense. Well, switching gears here, another question that I have. So let's talk about breakfast. So I know a lot of hotels, they'll have, you know, sometimes they have like a breakfast buffet. Sometimes they just have like a continental breakfast with pastries and stuff. I've seen some that don't have anything, but they just have like a different cereal dispensers. And then they have like a, a milk dispenser too. And that's just what they offer. Do you guys offer any food like that or you just avoid it altogether? I personally would avoid it altogether. It sounds like a headache, but I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. So we've done a lot of competitive research and it looks like people do like breakfast options in our market. Uh, so we are going to offer more uh, options, but it's not going to be where we're cooking for our guests. We're just going to heat up local pastries or local uh, things that our restaurant partners are going to make. Um, so we're not the ones cooking for our guests. We're just reheating stuff that they have already prepared. And we're also going to have little grab and go stuff. So we have a snack bar in the front desk. And so that does amazingly well. And so a snack, the, the front door, front desk, a snack, um, whether it's a vending machine or it's just a person selling these, selling these, they can generate quite a bit of additional income. So we're going to add some uh, granola bars and et cetera as well to our snack bar. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I know I'm willing to pay like 10 bucks for a granola bar. Sometimes when I'm in a hotel, you know, like maybe I've been in a conference all day and I like, there's no other options. You can, you can make some extra money on that because I think people are willing to pay for that convenience of just being able to grab a snack and not having to like go out and wait at a restaurant or find a convenience store or something like that. So I do think there's a lot of value there in that convenience. And I guess you're offering like a breakfast catering sort of <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it will be an add on that guests can select when they book basically it's like, hey, do you want a, a breakfast empanada for $6 or something like that? How do you deliver that? Like, if they're so if someone's if you've got x amount of guests that are opting into breakfast and x amount of guests that are like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't need breakfast. How do you know who's who? How are you policing that? Are you delivering it to the room? Or like, what's what's the deal there? Because it seems like more um, to keep up with. Yeah, so it, your reservation will be tied to whether you have a breakfast option or not. So and then um, I've seen some hotels actually do this where they will have you circle a piece of paper, which is the not so tech way, but you circle a piece of paper and say, hey, I want my breakfast. This is my breakfast selection and I want it delivered at 9 a.m. And so that's that's the that's the non tech way of doing it. But we're looking at leveraging technology and basically incorporating that into when they're booked, uh, they can select, hey, I want uh, this type of breakfast and this is the, the range of time that I would like my breakfast to be delivered or I want to just pick up my breakfast item. Okay, options. Time. I like options. 
All right. So we're, we're to the end of the show, last three questions, but before we get to the last three questions that we ask everyone, is there anything that I miss that you as someone who does this every day would want the rest of the world who's interested in possibly doing this to know? Um, I guess one, I guess I want to hammer, I, I want to, I guess, emphasize the fact that a larger hotels, um, are definitely a different animal than short-term rental investing. I personally did not know this. I, I thought that, hey, I could just have 40 short-term rentals in one hotel and that would be the end of. So it is very, very different, especially when you're getting to above a dozen hotel rooms. That it, It's going to be very, very different in how you operate it and the time commitment initially and setting it up and optimizing the process and training the staff and onboarding because you do now have employees, it's going to be a totally different process. And if you just um, have some vacation rentals. Totally agree with that. I think a lot of people when they start having, you know, they, maybe they buy their first short term rental and they start having a lot of success and then they get that green light syndrome is what we call it, where they're like, I'm going to buy hotels and I'm going to do this and I'm going to start the best management company in the world and buy my course for $16,000 a month. And, you know, it's really like just focus on the thing that you can do now and scale later as you go. Like, I mean, I did the same thing. I, I decided I was going to have a condo hotel in Tulum. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay my course, do what I can do now. And when I can do the bigger things later, then I will do that. So um, I agree. Totally different, different animal there. So, all right. So last three questions. First question, what advice would you give 20 year old Dia? Oh man. So um, <laughs> I definitely grew up in a very traditional Asian, uh, with a very traditional Asian set of expectations basically. And so I'm supposed to get good grades, go to good schools, get a good job and, you know, boom, happiness or at least success. Um, and I guess uh, I would just uh, say that um, go, if you have an idea to entrepreneurial idea to, and to go for it, basically a lot sooner. Um, I see a lot of folks who are way, way younger than me uh, succeeding and killing it in real estate investing. And sometimes I do wish maybe I should have just started a lot earlier. Maybe I should have done wholesaling or something while I was in college or, uh, you know, concurrently with my education the and taking the traditional path. Same. You, I mean, I've said it a bunch of times on this show, so nobody needs to hear my story again, but yeah, I agree. Have, wish, wish I would have done stuff when I was in college in at the same time. All right. So next question, kind of along the same lines, kind of different. What advice do you have for a new investor who's just getting started today, like this year in the current uh, economic state? Um, I think the, the best advice is just to start um, and stop. To, you know, analyzing is very, very good to make sure that you're getting a really good deal. I think the two biggest new, new mistakes or newbie mistakes are going to be one, um, not analyzing enough. So I've seen people who jump into short-term mental investing without a lot of forethought or uh, due diligence on this the market and the property that they're getting to make sure that it's still a cash-flowing asset uh, with very, very conservative financial assumptions. Right now, And uh, with hotel deals, um, we do not want to overpay for the asset 
And we do not want to be left holding the bag if, you know, the market that takes a nosedive, basically. And so we are very conservative with our financial projections. We're analyzing at much higher cap rates at exit, for example, than, uh, you know, if we than what the current market is doing. And same with short-term rentals. I've always been very, very conservative with my analysis. Now, the other end of the spectrum, I've seen this a lot too, is that folks are overanalyzing and freaking out about everything. And I here, I wanted to clarify what I said about my parents earlier. Um, this is, I think, where they fall into is that they, uh, you know, I was the same way. So uh, my parents are very, very smart, So, but they also... Uh, you know, are very nervous about everything. And so very uncertain about everything. And so, um, and so I would say a lot of folks I've seen, um, don't hesitate to go into real estate investing because it, the market's too high, the interest rate's too high. Uh, but, you know, a couple months ago, the market was too hot. So they didn't want to enter the market. And then now the interest rates are too high, or, you know, so they don't want to enter the market. And then maybe in six months, um, the, the 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 market has cooled down and now they're worried about that too and so they don't want to <laughs> enter the market so there's a lot of different reasons that you might be nervous about re real estate investing um but the best way to learn is really to dive in um and do the best job analyzing the deal that you can um you're not going to learn know everything from day one whether it's short-term rental investing or hotels um you can definitely band with people who know more than you um, but at the end of the day, you have to just do it at some point <laughs> to really learn. So, yeah, there's always going to be a reason you can find not to invest or not to get started. So eventually you do have to just pull that trigger and go. Yes. All right. Last question. What is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? I don't want to name the obvious book. So, um, okay. you know, we had somebody say so, Harry Potter last week. <laughs> oh man. You know, like, I feel like everyone probably mentions rich dad, poor dad at one point. So I don't want to just, uh, list okay. that book. so, I mean, but I, um, I do think that in general, that book has helped me a lot. Um, and it also just all the resources and podcasts. Um, you know, on bigger pockets, on choose FI. And I, I honestly am more of a podcast person than I am a books person. And mm -hmm. so I think that just getting started with a podcast like this one um, is really, really great uh, to listen to and get motivated in getting started in real estate investing. I do love listening to other people's stories on podcasts, you know, because people might have thought about maybe they're doing the same thing as you, but they went about it a different way that you didn't think about. And you're like, oh, man, yeah, that's cool. I should try that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of podcasts as well. All right, Dia, thank you so much for coming on the show. If our listeners want to find out more about you, where can they find you? I am pretty active on Facebook and um, two Facebook groups. One is Airbnb professional host and one is short term rentals and hotel investors. Um, and then you can always reach out to me on Instagram as well. I'm at uh, Dia ESQ. All right, everybody, I'm sure we'll definitely start following you there. And thanks again so much for coming on and we'll catch you later. Thank you so much for having me.